The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, New York. Here in New York, I'm Vince Rocco, your host, and I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. You know, every year the Rockefeller Center tree dazzles spectators through early January, at which point it cut it gets cut into pieces and toted away. But what happens to the wood once it's removed? The New York Post followed last year's tree to discover that it became beams for Habitat for Humanity. Houses in upstate New York, in particular, critical reinforcement for a home that now houses a single father and his three children. Last year wasn't the first year that the beloved and massive Christmas tree took on a second life. Tishman Spire, who owns... And operates Rockefeller Center has been partnering with Habitat for Humanity for nearly a decade to mill the towering trees into lumber for the nonprofit's nearby projects. Governor Andrew Cuomo won't let the MTA's lack of announcing an opening date for the long-stalled 2nd Avenue subway stop him from believing in miracles. After a Friday afternoon visit to the project site, he took to Twitter and stated that he was cautiously optimistic that the project would hit its January 1st deadline. There have been many setbacks. There was a time in October when the officials uh, realized some of the tunnels were too narrow for certain train models to clear. And before that, there was a delay in elevator and escalator testing. Yet local officials like Cuomo remain hopeful that things would work out for the better. Forbes has released its annual list of 500 most expensive zip codes across the country, and New York City, no surprise, has even more zip codes in the top 20 than it did last year. With just three in the top 20 last year, that has jumped to eight, with five of them making it to the top 10 this year. Unsurprisingly, the Upper East Side has three of the priciest zip codes in the city at the top of the list, and sitting at the second position nationwide is 10075, which covers the Upper East 70s in that neighborhood. The median price for a home in this in this area is 7.2 million and this zip code has experienced a massive bump from last year when it was sitting at just number 98 on the list but what happened to 10021 is what I, I'm questioning that was always much more fancier than 10075 agreed I don't know. Interesting. Anyway, we'll find out. Time was on her side, which turned out to be a good bet for the actress Susan Lucci. For the past two and a half years, the former long-running star of the hit soap opera All My Children sat on the market with her home for an asking price of $20 million. This home in the Hamptons is on the ocean, and it's a mansion. Now that's paid off. According to Curbed Hamptons, uh, Lucci's custom-built home in Quag is under contract for the asking price of $20 million. Her home was designed by Eugene Futterman and built in 1989 to suit the actress's taste for Curbed take on an oversized cedar-shaped shingled cottage on the ocean. Her 1.4-acre estate is called Four Winds and is located at 20 Dune Road in the West Hampton village of Quag. It boasts 160 feet of ocean frontage, which helps explain how Lucci knew that she could hold tight to her first 
uh, price, uh, which was $20 million, and that price was set back in 2014. The number of contracts on the luxury uh, properties in the city has spiked in the past two weeks, but the over $4 million market still hasn't reached the heights of last year. In the period between December 5th through December 11th, 30 contracts were signed on properties priced $4 million and above. Throughout 2016, only five weeks saw more than 30 contracts signed in the Manhattan luxury real estate market, according to the weekly report, market report rather, from Olshan Properties. The number of contracts signed on properties over $4 million thus far in 2016 is down 18% over the same period last year. Out of the 30 contracts signed last week, 24 were for condominiums with an average asking price of 9.4 million, two were for co-ops at 7.7 million, and four were for townhouses at 16.2 million. Those are some numbers. Um, nine point spare change. 9.4 million was the average for condominiums. Isn't that something? Wow. Anyway, we have a special show today. I'm here with one of my uh, panelists and good friend, Matthew Cohen, who's on the show regularly. But today, it's just going to be the two of us bantering back and forth and talking about some real estate stuff. If you remember, Matthew was a licensed real estate salesperson at CORE and a member of the Real Estate Board of New York, which awarded him runner-up for Rookie of the Year. How many years ago was that? God, three. Three years three. ago. There you go. And look at you now. <laughs> exactly. Matthew's primary goal is finding his clients the perfect residence. He puts all his energy, precision, and ability to communicate into every client as if they were family. One of the reasons he is so renowned and respected in the real estate community. He grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and attended high school in the beautiful suburb of suburb of Tenafly, New Jersey, a background that gives him an in-depth understanding of real estate in any neighborhood. A graduate of Muhlenberg, Muhlenberg. Muhlenberg yes. College in Pennsylvania. Uh, he later worked in investment banking prior to entering the real estate industry. His true passion, Matthew loves to play golf, tennis, ski, and spend time with his family and friends. He is an active member within the New York LGBT community. Good morning. Good morning. That's that's a lot. And that's a lot. <laughs> I always forget in my life. <laughs> well, you know, when I read bios, everybody looks at me like, wow, that's yeah. that that's me. <laughs> we should go over it again in 10 years. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I've written mine so many, so many times it's not even funny. So, you know, what what's happening in the in the in the world of, of in your world of, of real estate these days? I mean, we get involved in so many things. We've had such a uh a, I don't know, a contentious election period that that's just, you know, finally over, very divisive. The market kind of has, I think, reacted to this uh, this year of campaigning. Uh you talk to different people and everybody has a different opinion on the ups and downs of our market, but in in your world, and we all have our own little world of, of real estate as independent contractors, in your world, what's what's happening? In my world, um, it, it's been a very interesting year, I guess, because you know normally election years are always a little bit different than typical years in the real estate market, but especially this year because, of course, this election was a little bit, you know, on a grander level than normal. Um, you know, there was a little bit more of a circus around it, so it, it definitely got people's emotions flying, and it, it's just been a very different reaction to the real estate world in terms of buyers and sellers and what the market is doing. So, you know, for me, normally in, in December, especially just at the end of November after Thanksgiving, it, normally, I would be writing holiday cards. I'd be getting my gifts together for all my clients and and really just preparing for the next year. And actually, it's been quite the opposite. I, I've been trying to juggle a lot lately because everyone's been really pulling the trigger lately on rivers. Sorry, on um, on real estate instead of waiting for a few months till next year, like they normally do because of interest rates. I mean, you know, I I, I can't base it all on that, of course, but. 
most of my clients, as opposed to a lot of brokers in this city, are not all cash buyers. They are getting mortgages. So, you know, the interest rates have played a huge role in them just coming back to the market and, you know, being ready to look and pulling the trigger on something that they like instead of thinking about it and waiting on it. So I'm really doing a lot right now. Well, I wanted to ask you because you mentioned uh, the current interest rates. How is that? See, it, 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 you know, if they're not cash buyers, it certainly has an effect on the market. So we all know that rates have gone up a little bit and they're probably going to go up even more. So in your in your territory, in your uh, you know book of business, you're seeing more people coming to the table now? Yes, because what happens is people, it, it's a very emotional thing buying real estate in New York rather than anywhere else. But but even yeah. in, anywhere in the world, you know, the emotional aspect of buying an apartment or buying a house and getting a mortgage is that you get scared by certain things sometimes if they peak. And mm-hmm. so once interest rates are going up after they were, you know, really low for a long time, um, you know, people automatically assume they're going to keep going up. And, and I think they're right, to be honest. And, and actually, one of the clients that we are in contract now works for the IRS, funny enough. And so, you know, if anything tells you that it might probably still go up, it's him. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Contrary to that, all of all, I will say all of my buyers uh, these days are cash buyers. And so all of them for the past several months have put it on hold um, to at least the beginning of next year. So I'm anticipating hopefully a bonanza in the first quarter and into the, the second quarter of next year. But um, it's interesting because they don't have to buy at the moment because they're not you know, tracking the interest rates. So they're kind of like chilling and waiting. The election is over. The holidays are about to happen. Uh, so once all of that is finished, um, hopefully they'll be back to the market to look. And this this is across all price points. I right. Mean, wouldn't it, you agree? Absolutely. And it's also interesting on a sales side. I know we're talking about buyers most mostly, but especially on the sales side with mm-hmm. my clients who are, you know, thinking about putting their apartments on the market. And, you know, normally at this time I would say to them, you know, let's wait till the second or third week in January. Right. There's no reason to put it on right now. It's pretty dead with the holidays. But actually, quite the contrary. Um, you know, I, I have sellers who we have a really, you know, open conversation about the fact that, hey, I'm completely fine if you want to wait a few weeks and do it next year. Um, you know, I'd love some free time during the holidays, but at the at the same time, um, there is such an influx of people looking because of the interest rates rising. Right. So you sometimes want to take advantage of this current market, even though it is a strange time normally. You know, it's interesting because at our company, I've, I, you know, I watched the listings come out and I was pleasantly surprised, but a bunch of new listings coming out in the month of December where, you know, in the past that didn't happen. I mean, I remember being told when I was a brand new agent and I was, you know, training or whatever, people used to say to me, the more experienced, do not put anything on the market after Thanksgiving, at least not until the second week of January, because you're going to just sit and stall. Exactly. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing a whole bunch of listings come out this month. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, so you know what, there's a time and place for everything. And if you need to go on the market, you need to go on the market. And if there's a buyer out there for that particular property, you know, they'll come and see it. So Absolutely. it's encouraging to see, you know, that the markets don't necessarily stop and start just because of a season like they used to. I think they it just, you know, real estate just happens when it has to happen. Uh, and it's interesting. We, um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about the interest rates later. And I wanted to also talk about bordering neighborhoods and fringe neighborhoods because, you know, in markets like this, in transitional markets and slower markets, it's always the the bordering neighborhoods of Manhattan or the fringe neighborhoods of Manhattan usually get the most um, or the least amount of activity. 
what do you think about that? I actually, this is probably one of the most interesting topics that I think we'll talk about because especially like you said, in a transitional market where you have a lot of neighborhoods downtown like Tribeca and Chelsea that are just so over overly expensive for a regular home buyer, you know, they are automatically drawn to those outside neighborhoods, those, like you said, fringe neighborhoods Mm -hmm. where they can get that better deal and maybe get a little bit more space and still be able to walk to the center of that neighborhood that was potentially their dream. And this happens everywhere. And Mm -hmm. this is also one of the great things about New York City because I actually had clients who flew in um, last week for the week to look at an apartment because they're flying back, sorry, they're moving back to New York from Hong Kong um, for the husband's job. You know, they're longtime clients of mine. They're wonderful. And all their friends are, surprise, surprise, living in Brooklyn. And so they that's where they wanted to live. And so we, we spent a bunch of days looking there. And of course, you know, the typical places that people really want to be right away, Dumbo, Brooklyn Heights, Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill. Um, you know, we looked at all these places. They saw what they could get for the price range they were looking at. And then, you know, they said to me, Matt, we're not outrageously impressed by much that we're seeing. Obviously, we love these neighborhoods so much, um, you know, but we really want to love our apartment more. And so I said to them, let's look at the neighborhoods around these specific neighborhoods you want to be in, like a Fort Greene. Let me, you know, let like me, let me stop you right there. We have to take a break. We're going to Sorry. pick right up on that when we come back. This is Good Morning New York and the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Real estate isn't just a career for me. It is my passion, and nothing drives my passion more than my clients. One of my clients who's based overseas has bought several apartments with me sight unseen. At the closing table, he turned to my attorney and he said, No one is more intellectual than Matthew. He has my best interests in mind and allows me to spend millions of dollars on real estate in New York a year. I trust him like I would a member of my family, and there is nothing more special or unique than that. I'm Matthew Cohen with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and my guest today is one of my um, panelists, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, 
who we are as people, and we're going to talk about real estate. And uh, he was just in, in the middle of a thought before I cut you off a commercial, so sorry. <laughs> so why don't you continue? Anything for you, Vince. Um, Thank you. No, you know, all I was saying is that this fringe neighborhood idea is is actually one that I really believe in. And I'm glad that all of my clients mention it to me, and, and it's something that we speak openly about. Um, what I was trying to say is that my clients who are moving back here and they're moving to Brooklyn, you know, they really want to be in those prime spots like Brooklyn Heights, but they weren't loving anything. And at the end of the day, even though they want to love the neighborhood, and Brooklyn is definitely more of a neighborhoody place, um, they care more about their space. They care more about where they're going to wake up every day, where they're going to you know, live their lives and have company over. And so I took them to places like Fort Greene, like Borum Hill, you know, things that are potentially not, you know, even Park Slope, which is actually, in my opinion, a prime neighborhood, you know, but it's not as close it's to Manhattan, close. of course. Yeah. So, you know, and they really loved a bunch of the options and they loved the idea that you can get something potentially for half a million less. And still be two blocks walking distance from the center of Brooklyn Heights, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's going to be a huge thing, especially going into 2017 as the prices continue to stay where they are in places like downtown, where, you know, maybe your dream was to always live in the West Village, but what you, you know, your price range is up to 2 million and the reality is what you want is actually between 3 and 4 in the West Village. No, like, let's go further, further to the Hudson, let's go, you know, in areas like Hudson Square, for example, that's that area between, you know, or just north of Tribeca that's not as built up yet, you know, that's west of Soho, but you can still walk, you know, two minutes to get to the prime spot of the neighborhood you really wanted to be in. I think this is going to be an ever-growing idea. Yeah, I agree. At the top of the uh, the show and in the news um, portion, I mentioned the Second Avenue subway. So let me ask you, the Second Avenue subway update, and how important is this this new subway line going to be for the Upper East Side. Now, we talk about French neighborhoods, and of course, the Upper East Side is definitely, you know, Manhattan proper. But when you get really east of, you know, Third Avenue, it becomes, you know, sort of way out of the way because there has historically been no train systems over there and you had to walk all the way over to Lexington. So, in your opinion, the Second Avenue subway, what is it going to do to the the current, you know, housing values, the current um, apartment values? Uh, going forward? Well, I've always thought the Upper East Side is a very interesting neighborhood because it's arguably the biggest neighborhood landmass-wise in Manhattan. So, you know, it's so... I guess, for lack of better terms, cool that we can have, like you were talking about numbers and averages and median prices, that some of the most expensive zip codes mm-hmm. are actually on the Upper East because you have so much land up there and you know anything west of Lex along Park and Madison and Fifth, this is high-end luxury real estate. Mm-hmm. You know Some of the most expensive co-ops and just historic neighborhoods. But then when you go east of Lex and you go to Third and Second where you don't have that transportation like you said, you can get some amazing deals. And I, I think the Upper East has so much going for it in a transitional market, especially because you have that mix of high end, you have that mix of more not lower end, but more middle end because of the no transportation. But as the subway comes in, you have to assume that that will increase everything over there, as well as a lot of things that people forget about is all the cor- is the big Cornell campus that they're building on Roosevelt Island. And I think that will also be very interesting for the Upper East Side because a lot of people who everyone knows about, you know, 
while Cornell and hospital for special surgery, that's all the way on York Avenue on the Upper East side. And, you know, people think that that's just all hospitals and all offices, but all those doctors, all those nurses, a ton of them live around that area. Mm -hmm. And I think that people who are going to be, you know, either in med school or grad school or professors or, you know, even doctors on the Cornell campus they're building on Roosevelt Island will live on the Upper East and will want to live further East, actually. So I think that's an interesting aspect. You know, it's interesting because when I first became aware of, you know, New York City or Manhattan, you know, the Upper, and this is a long time ago, the Upper East Side was the place to be. Very chic, very in, uh, always in the top, you know, um, statistics where, you know, zip codes were concerned, not as many as today, but they were always, you know, up there. And then I watched, you know, through the years as the Upper East Side became completely, you know, off the charts, not so fashionable, not a place to be. The Upper West Side took over, downtown took over, all these neighborhoods you mentioned before, Tribeca and Soho and, and West Village, really kind of knocked them off the box. And now it's interesting to see how, you know, the tables continue to turn and the Upper East Side is becoming, you know, a lot more in focus again. And a lot of it is because of the Second Avenue subway coming. I mean, certainly the the townhouse market on the Upper East Side is uh, and has been solid and healthy. The prices on those houses are in incredibly high so let's see what it does i'm i'm not a skeptic i'm just thinking that i don't know that it's going to open as quickly as they keep saying january 1st is like a few weeks away and i'm not so sure it's going to be but it definitely will be uh in the first quarter of next year and let's see what it does for the um you know for the the neighborhood you know comparing it to the upper west side for example you know it's a lot smaller on the west side there's a you know a whole different you know pre-war feel on there's the more west subways side. on the west side and there's so, more subways and more much more transportation right so that's that's the key factor why i think it'll really help the area mm-hmm. you know on the east side I, I also think what people forget and we were talking about this before we actually went on the air is that the upper east side because it's so big there's so much potential for change Absolutely. there's so much potential for you know upside in the in the next years and then in the next few months even you know they're doing developers are doing a ton of building on the northern side of the upper east side as east harlem gets a little more gentrified step by step and as they rezoned you know a bunch of the 90s and the hundreds um at the same time we were just talking about a new development that's on 61st and second right where the bridge lets out like whoever thought anyone would want to live there but just goes to show you you know yeah. Location, location, and people love a good building. And people what, love what, a good product. What do they say? When you build it, they'll come. Exactly. And at the end of the day, I know exactly where you're talking because I used to park my car in a parking garage right there. And I used to come home sometimes and put the car in the garage and think, you know, walk up to my neighborhood and think, oh, who would ever want to live here? And for the reasons you just said. And now, you know, again, you build it, they'll come. And if it's luxury and if it's beautiful and it's brand new and it's condo, it'll sell. So let me ask you, you know, you you do a lot of work with buyers, you do a lot of work with sellers, but New York City apartments come in two flavors, co-ops, uh, co-ops, short for cooperative and condominiums, of course. The first step in New York City buying process is to decide which one suits you better. And we've all had these conversations with our customers. Older buildings, you know, built uh, before 1980s tend to be co-ops, while pretty much everything else from the 1980s onward is condo. Beyond that distinction, your personal financial circumstances, along with your lifestyle preferences and past experiences, might guide you toward one or the other. Or, like many people, 
<clears throat> you may simply decide to look for the best apartment you can afford in a financially sound building, whether it be co-op or condo. So when you first start working with buyers, you know, and the, and the conversation comes up, first, of course, it's always the price point. And then we kind of back into, well, you could afford this or that, whether it's condo or co-op. Explain to our listeners, Matt, because sometimes people don't really understand the difficulties of our jobs with people. Explain to the listeners out there. Um, how when you first start working with a buyer, you know, it's very important to get as much information as you can up front so you can guide them into the right home. Yeah, I actually, you know, as much as, so agents that come into this business, I always think their goal is to get listings. You know, they think that selling an apartment is so easy and, you know, I want to do something that's easy that'll make me money fast. Um, I guess because I've never been a greedy person and because I really just love the industry and I love the whole world of real estate, I've actually preferred preferred working with buyers throughout my career, even though I do a lot of both. It's definitely 50-50. But I love working with buyers because you truly get to know them deep down to the core. And I love, you know, and that's one of the reasons I become so close with my clients. Um, You know, I I love the fact that especially if they're buying a co-op, you you really get to know their whole life story. Um, but with regards to the co-op and condo conversation, it, it's, a, it's a long one that you need to have and that you need to have in depth because there are so many different factors that go into it. Yes, it's about price range. I mean, you know, some people just can't afford the difference that a condo is to a co-op because, you know, there are so many, it, it's just so much more flexible. Um, but at the same time, I really like to stick to the basics. And the basics are explain the difference of the two in actuality. And in actuality, when you buy a condo, you are actually owning Mm -hmm. the apartment. You actually own the real estate. And when you buy a co-op, you own a share of the corporation or the building. So that is probably the biggest thing I always like to start with. Because some people right away will be like, oh, well, now that I think about it that way, I I just want to own my apartment. But... At the same time, I've had a lot of people who really like the idea of owning a share of a corporation because they feel there would be more of a familial atmosphere in the building. Um, Or more hands-on with the managing of the building. Exactly. You know, more of personal care. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, then there's a whole other thing, you know. With co-ops, there's usually not great subletting. And and if I have an investor who's buying, I won't even have them look at a co-op. But I got to say, if, you know, if the price range is not an issue and these are people who are, you know, have good incomes, because obviously you have to have a certain amount of income. You have to have a certain amount of money liquid, um, you know, for a co-op at least to just qualify for it. I have to say that most of my clients who are buying to live in the apartment will look at it all. You know, they're more worried about the apartment itself and finding the right one. I you think know? it's also about timing too. I mean, if they're, you know, short term in and out of the city investors, you know, a condo obviously makes sense. And for what you said, the subletting policy, if they want to rent it out, it's easier. But for families or people who want to dig in, as I say, uh, into Manhattan, because they're going to live here for a number of years, raise children, send them to school, then I think you're right. It doesn't matter whether it's a condo or a co-op. It matters uh, whether the apartment is the right fit for them, the right size for them in the right neighborhood for them and the right school district for them and all that good stuff. And, you know, there are, and as we've we've talked about this so many, many times on this program and probably last week as well, you know, with a co-op, you have to be able to pass the board. It's not only about, you know, how, what your income is or how much money you have. If your agent feels like you're not going to be able to pass the board, you know, again, across 
price points, it doesn't matter, then it's not the option for you. So I think, you know, one of the, the things that we need to do, and I think you and I do well, is when we first get a client, you really kind of vet them and understand exactly what they can and can't afford. Because it bites you in the ass, you know, at some point, if it doesn't work out. And something that we always talk about on this show is setting expectations. Right. You know, we are, what one of the biggest things that we are here for is setting expectations. Mm-hmm. And throughout the rest of the country, you you are looking at houses. It's all a house. And here, because you have different kinds of product like co-ops and condos, I always want to really explain it in depth to my clients because I want to set their expectations. I want them to know that if they go for a condo, if they find two apartments that they love equally and they're the same price, I want them to truly know, you know, hey, in this condo, if you're getting a mortgage, you could put down less than 20%. Co-ops require at least 20%. Things like that. They need to have their expectations set. Or something like, you know, just knowing that, hey, you're going to have more restrictions in the co-op. Hey, you're going to have to follow a board. If you ever want to do work, you have to get everything run by someone. I really want to just set their expectations. All right. We'll have to take a break. We will come back right after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back. I'm here with Matt Cohen from core real estate. Um, Matt, let me ask you, you know, we've, we've worked for a couple of companies each. Um, I'm in the business a little longer, but you know, what do you, how do you attribute, you know, good solid leadership and management in our companies? Because I think, you know, we have really, I think, difficult jobs. I mean, it's not physical, manual labor type stuff, um, and we're not solving world hunger. But you know, when you're working with people and you're you're buying and selling their homes, 
you know, it's a personal and a very emotional situation and it can be very stressful for us as agents. And sometimes I think that if we don't have the right leadership behind us or where we can go and get support or seek support, you know, it makes our job even more difficult. I happen to think that where we currently work at CORE, the leadership is amazing. What do you, how do you attribute this to successful transactions at times? One of the, one of the favorite, my favorite things that ever happened to me while being in this industry and throughout my career was when I was nominated for that award by the Real Estate Board in New York. I, I met Frederick for the first time. Um, I think that's when I met you. Yeah, we met. That's it right. was years ago, but it was yes. uh, it oh, was wow. it was love at first sight for all of, for all of you out there. It was wow. love at first sight. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, oh, my God, it just right. goes to show you, good people come together. That's right. Um, but so no, for one of the first things that Frederick ever told me was, "I'm constantly learning." In his Swedish accent, of course. <laughs> um, and, and he probably and, is. And you know, it it really stuck with me. Uh, another huge idol of mine is Emily Bear that we work with at CORE and, and she's also always sure. saying I'm always learning and why I say that with regards to the leadership is because th- this is a very hard job that we do you know mm-hmm. it's a, a very emotionally draining it's very um, intense 24-7 and even if you are the best at it there are things that pop up that you never would have assumed that you could have maybe Absolutely. never come into contact with in 20 years. Absolutely. And so that's why I think it's so important to have great leadership. And and obviously, Core is such an amazing company that it gives me goosebumps because I'm very proud of it. And I'm very proud to be a part of it. And we have a, an amazing director of sales, Doug Headings. We have an amazing manager, David Inocenzi. And more than anything, I love that I can go to them even in the craziest of situations and know that if they don't have the answer, we can brainstorm together. And it's all about just emotional support. You know, I truly feel as though they are not just my managers. They are really out for my best interest. They, 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 they almost feel like an uncle who really knows you better than anyone else. And, and then they want to succeed. see you succeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was on the other side of that fence up until not too long ago, managing, you know, teams of, of, of agents and stuff. So, you know, it was always satisfying or gratifying for me when someone would come to me for advice and, you know, even if you don't know their their situation as intimately well as they do, but you can give them some you know talking point to some some advice, whatever, and they walk away feeling much better. That to me was was tremendous satisfaction, and and hopefully it it, it helped actually get the deal closed, which in our business is what really matters. Yeah, and a great example is that last week I had an hour-long meeting with our managers at our headquarters and, you know, for the first half hour we talked about work and, you know, transactions and details like that and then for the second half hour it actually just turned into talks about our families, holidays, what we're doing but really, but not scratching the surface, really getting deep and actually even a a little emotional and that's, um, that's very important to me and I think it should be more important to everyone else out there you know not a lot of people take what we do as not seriously but as emotionally as you and I do and and I really take it to heart everything I do and knowing that my managers know what's going on in my heart mm-hmm. on both work and in my personal life is huge because they really are a you know just close people in my life and I appreciate that I, I, I wholeheartedly agree and I think we are blessed and lucky to be um, <clears throat> working where we are working and for the people we are I'm you know it's the best choice I've made in years Let's move on to teams because, you know, in, in this world of real estate, you know, when I first became an agent, you know, it was you're an independent contractor, you're your own agent, you're your own little candy store, you do your own little thing. And through the years as the market's changed and the industry has changed and whatever, I've, I've seen so many teams 
you know, grow and, and, and become, you know, who they are, most of them successful, whatever. But teams are like many companies within a company because you've got four, five, six, ten in some cases, you know, with some of the larger um, teams in, in, in companies. How do these teams work and, and how can they become as successful as, you know, they really need to be? Because people out there don't really realize they know Matt, they know Vince, they know this one, they know that one. And sometimes we're on team, sometimes we're not on team. How does a team approach really affect real estate business in New York City? I mean, having been on a team myself, uh, you know, years ago and, and now being quote unquote on my own because I collaborate with a lot of people um, and it's something that I think makes the just the job even more enjoyable. Um, and having a sub-agent myself who in in the real estate world, a sub-agent is basically like a more professional term for an assistant. Um, you know, I, I do like having other people than just myself, but, but I think it's really just taste, you know, it's, it's who there's someone for everyone. And I I think the biggest thing that people need to be careful of in the New York city real estate world with so many other brokers is pigeonholing yourself. And it's something that I never, ever, ever want to do. I want to make it known that I, I love this so much and I do it, you know, all the time and things like, I don't just work in one neighborhood. I work in all neighborhoods, things like, you know, I don't just work with co-ops. I also work with condos, you know, and townhouses. I do it all. And I think sometimes what a team can do, and and just so that people out there know, I actually switched from a team to being more on my own. Yes, it had to do a little bit with the success I was having and doing it myself um, and having my own name. But at the same time, I would constantly and still constantly get the question from sellers and buyers, you know, how much are you going to be doing yourself? Are you going to be doing the open houses? Are you going to be doing the showings? Are you going to be doing my board package? And I do do almost everything. And and I think people love knowing that. People kn- want to know that you are personally handling. They're a huge step in their life. And sometimes when it comes to teams, I think people get the wrong idea or, or even just, you know, um, feel the wrong way or get a, you know, strange feeling from, you know, maybe the head of the team who they originally contacted. And then, you know, after maybe they sign their exclusive to sell the apartments, it's the last time they see them, you know, and everyone else on the team does their work. There's something that's very impersonal about that. And, and I'm more of a personal person. Mm. So I think it just is everyone is different. And, and I, and I say that because some teams are incredibly successful. I mean, Mm. and I give a ton of credit to people like Leonard Steinberg, people like Rafael De Niro, Emily Bear, who have smaller teams, but still do a lot of the things themselves. And and I think that's the perfect combination. But then, you know, what most people don't know, especially with people like Ryan Serhant, is, you know, and I hate to put, you know, names to people, but you know, I think it's important that people know that some of these huge brokers in the industry, they, you know, they have teams of 30 people. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that a team anymore? That almost is the size of a small company. Well, so, I wanted to ask you about that. Yes. Yeah, so that's I, where I was going with this. In some cases, it's a little, you know, out of control. And that's not really a team anymore. And I don't think that's the way real estate should be. I think real estate should remain something that's a very personal process. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you get to a team level that's that huge, you need to dial it down a little bit. And maybe, you know, because it takes the personal aspect out of it. 
that's why I think I've always been a little adverse to teams because I, I mean, I respect them and there's certainly been so many and they still are very many successful ones. But I've always, as you just said, always thought and still do that real estate is personal and real estate is about Matthew Cohen and it's about Vince Rocco and it's about, you know, this other agent or that. Because when you present yourself to your clients, you are presenting yourself to your clients and you may have people behind you assisting you in doing other things, but you're really the face. And I think that that's where sometimes when the teams don't work out, they bring breakdown. And the other point I wanted to make out is, do you think sometimes uh, that new people coming into the business, millennials, you know, as I've stated, I think many times on the show, this used to be a third, uh, a second and third career for for people after they were in technology sales, a lot of lawyers and and, and, uh, a couple of doctors I've known through the years. You know, you, you kind of give up that corporate stuff. You can become a real estate agent. Today, it seems like more people coming out of school are going directly into real estate. And I think without having a book of business or a great network or a lot of contacts in your early 20s, you know, they look to join teams because they think they're going to be uh, more successful or successful uh, more quickly. I mean, do you think there's a lot of that happening too? Just like I set expectations for my clients. I also, you know, we have some new, we're doing this program at Core actually because we're known for being a very high-end firm with yeah. big brokers. We're doing a program with newer agents and I'm teaching classes to them. And something I actually realized was that I also have to, you know, set their expectations because if they think they're going to be more successful on a team, they it's not that they're wrong. I just want them to understand that you are on a team, you are working for someone. You are going to be running around for them. You are going to be doing everything for them mm-hmm. and you are not going to grow your own name. Right. And a lot of people are completely fine with that and power to them. I, you know, I just want them to understand that it's not only that the money's not great for a team because they give you very little since at the end of the day it is their client, the head of the team's client, but you also just don't really get to grow your own business. And when you're new, that should be the focal point, growing your business. And it's hard because, yeah, you know, I'm a millennial. I hate to admit it, but, you know, we yes, always talk are. about it. But, it, you know, it was my second career and, and it took me, you know, you're, and I'm you're, so you're unusual. Yeah. And it's unusual, you know, for someone to have two careers so young. Right. And this is, I'm just unusual in every aspect. I never feel it fit a mold. And, you know, um, but I do attribute, I think there's something to be said about having real estate as a second or third career because you already have that platform. You have people who you've worked with in the past who can come to you for wow. their real estate needs. You know, you, you create that network other than who you just grew up with. So I think it's really hard for people coming into this without anyone but who they grew up with in college. And that's why, you know, I really, I make it a point to help these younger new agents out because I give them so much credit in the world for giving this a shot because it's not easy. It's not easy. And I think, you know, as the topic of the today's show is millennials and and trying to make it in the the world of real estate successfully, you have proven that uh, as a millennial. And the thing is, you know, I think grassroots is always the best way to learn things. So yeah, teams are helpful, but I think if you really kind of want to be that successful big name real estate agent and you're brand new to the business and you are young you got to stick it out and make it happen for you because guess what it will and when you do get there then you could decide whether you want a team or not uh, but you will at least learn how to do this business well 
how to grow your business, how to meet people, how to network. I mean, it really all always comes down to that. And sometimes I get disappointed again when I was managing um, agents, you know, when they would come in brand new, they would always ask, is there a team that I could be on? And I'd be, and I'd say, well, no, there isn't. I mean, you've got to kind of earn that somehow by, you know, understanding who these team members are, if they're even looking for people. But I think sometimes it's a, a quick way to get money uh, in their pocket because we all know in this business you could work for a year and still not close a deal as mm-hmm. a brand new agent. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of different um, thoughts as to where teams are. Not that I'm knocking them because I think they're successful in most, if not many cases, and we certainly know lots of people, you, you run names off before, uh, where they do make sense and where they are um, advantageous to the clients out there. All right, we're going to take a break. We will be back for our last segment in just a few minutes. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com In my opinion, the referral business is the biggest compliment that a real estate broker can have. I had clients that I actually didn't even help them find their home, but they referred their sister to me, and they commented on my professionalism, my knowledge, and understanding of the market, and that something I did stuck with them. They've become friends over the past 15 years and have referred more than 12 deals to me with friends and family. The fact that they think of me first and trust me with their family is really, really cool. I'm Steve Snyder with CORE, and this is what I do. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. listening to good morning new york real estate with vince rocco if you want to call into the program we're toll free in north america at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show so all right everybody we are back so not to interrupt you know i just say just because it's it's you and i today um i just want everyone out there to know because vince is obviously the host of this show and i feel like you know we never get to say amazing things about him but i just want everyone out there to know how amazing of a person he is he is not only a coworker of mine obviously but he's a very close friend of mine and he's one of the best people i know but he's also an incredible broker and no one deserves to have their own radio show more than you (laughs) well thank you so much i didn't even see that one coming i appreciate that that's so sweet of you to say So let, let, let's talk a little bit about Matt. You know, so in, in this busy, crazy world of real estate, we get all, you know, hung up on, you know, all of our, you know, crazy, busy days and stuff. But, you know, when you when you sit back home, you know, and you're having a glass of wine, maybe, and you're just reflecting on your day and, and on your life, whatever, who is a living person you most admire? 
I think I know the answer to this. But. Whoa, okay. Um, do you, I think most people know the answer to this, but you know, just to, just so that it's not and not that the, anybody else would, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. But there's always like one person living that you you kind of like admire the most, or that means the most. Since I always give the same answer, I'm gonna I'm, I'll, I'll give two. Okay. Um, of course, my mother. You know, no one's surprised to hear me say that. She is um, every single time her name is brought up. tears come to my eyes because she's just such an incredible person in general and having her as a mother growing up was so amazing something that a lot of people don't know is that she was sick for a little bit of my life and um you know having her come out of it and be in remission um i've i will never learn from anyone more in terms of what it's like to live life to the fullest Mm -hmm. and have great energy and put out there the best that you can um, because life's too short and you should always just be happy with at least it, it being happy is very hard, but at least be happy with what you're putting out there into the world. Um, but other than that, on a, on a more, <laughs> on a more fun aspect, um, I actually just got back from Delray beach in Florida for the weekend. And I was with one of my really good friends. Who's also a coworker of ours and someone I collaborate with all the time. Um, her name's Sheree Yellen. And she's also Love someone I just admire so much because she is, she's not the norm you know she's always been different in every aspect of her life and i truly respect people like that especially her because she's it's it's not it's really hard not to care not to truly care about what other people think of you and do what makes you the most happy and no one that i know does that more than her Mm -hmm. and I got to give her so much respect for that, and I love her for that. She's a lot of fun. I, I used to work with her in the past as well. So, with all that said, what is the, what is your earliest memory of New York City? I mean, you 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 grew up on the Upper West Side and then moved to Tenafly, but mm-hmm. what, what is your earliest memory of New York City? Something popped out at one point that made you realize where you were or where you are, uh, and that for you it happened to be New York City. What was your earliest memory? Whenever I think about you know, my memories of the city. Um, I constantly look back at my grandfather's apartment, you know, when he was living in Midtown in a high rise and I would always go out onto his tiny little balcony and be scared to death because he was on the 30 something floor and, you know, everyone that yelling, get, me. right. Everyone yelling, get back in, get yeah. back, get back in. Um, and also walking with him along Central Park West and seeing the gorgeous architecture. But I, I have to say, I was thinking about this last night. Um, my dad doesn't get enough credit because I have an amazing mother, but he's also equally amazing. I have to say that both of them are amazing. And he, I saw a great went, picture of the two of you on Facebook recently. That looked he, really sweet. He's amazing. And, um, you know, I grew up in Lincoln Towers, which if, you know, many people don't know that's in, you know, that's from 66 to 70th street on West End, West Avenue. End Avenue. Yeah. And when I was God, two or three years old, um, you know, growing up as a little kid, my, my dad would take me to the playground in Lincoln Towers, which was behind, um, one of the buildings. It was basically west of West End mm-hmm. in the Lincoln Tower complex. And I always think back at that because I just remember that both as a father-son experience, but also I always remember being able to see the Hudson having the views. And what's interesting about that is obviously that was a time when Riverside Boulevard didn't exist. Exactly. And I was so, just going to say before all those Trump buildings went up, you know, the, the views there were magnificent. Exactly. Sitting really on the water. Exactly. So I love to have that as one of my earliest memories because, you know, it's so cool to be able to say 
that you were in a neighborhood or be able to think about the fact that you were in a neighborhood before so much of it even developed. What is the best advice you've ever received? Wow. The best advice I've ever received. It They're both kind of along the same lines, but the you know one of the best pieces of advice that I ever received was from my mom when I was later on in college trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and she definitely you know just instilled in me to really not only love what you do but be passionate about what you do because it's going to take up so much of your life, and you really who wants to do something that they're just kind of bored at and sitting at and doing it for money. And, you know, it, it obviously took me a long, I don't come from money myself. So it took me a long time to be able to build up my finances to say that I can do this and not even think about the money anymore. But not a day goes by that I don't, that, that I would ever regret, you know, being in this field because I love it so much. But, but I, I have I to agree. say on the personal side, um, the best advice I ever got was from my late grandfather who recently passed away, which has been a very deep emotional thing for me. And he said to me during one of our last conversations back in April, um, he said to me, keep doing good. Just keep being good. Because he said to me, I know you've always been a genuine person. But if you always try to be the most genuine, quote, good person that you can be and put that good into the world, you will never regret because you will know that you always were put positiveness out there. And that's, I think, the best advice I've ever gotten. That I was just going to say, that sounds to me like it would be the best, <clears throat> you know, caring person. You know, you 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 are who you are, but if you're able to project that out to the world, out to the universe, have other people around you feel that. I know you personally, so I, I, I see that all the time. And it's also interesting when you point out passion versus, you know, just having a job. I've always thought about that. And, you know, I worked for 20 plus years in technology sales and, you know, I made good money and I was doing fine and I was a successful salesperson. But the fire in the belly was not there. The passion was not there. And it was like something missing. And I remember when I gave up a $400,000 a year job, you know, 15 years ago, that was a lot of money, still is a lot of money. And people thought I was crazy to go into real estate and not make any money for a year or two or three. And I thought, well, you know what, because this is what I want to do because I'm passionate about it. And I can tell you 15 years later, you know, through all of our ups and downs, I am still, you know, when we have good days and bad days and good years and bad years, whatever, I'm still, you know, amazingly passionate passionate about this business, helping people and just loving what I do every day. And I think that makes our clients happy, that makes us happy, and that makes the people who we surround ourselves with happy because really at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Um, so what do you consider your greatest achievement thus far? And you know, as a young millennial, you still have many, many years ahead of you, your whole life ahead of you actually. So but what are your greatest what is your greatest achievement thus far? Well, I think my greatest achievements are honestly every day. Um, being the best son, the best cousin, um, you know, the best nephew that I can be. M most importantly, the best friend that I can be. These are the biggest achievements in my life. Uh, I really, I cannot harp enough about how I really try and be such an amazing person because there are not enough of them in the mm. world. And I always want to be as genuine as I can be and, and care because I really do care about the people around me. And so 
I like to think that I have little achievements every day by trying to do that. But I actually, so far in my life, the biggest achievement has not been, you know, work or real estate related. It's definitely been, I used to be part of an organization called the First T um, when I was in high school, which is an organization that um, I helped out in the Bronx with um, just, you know, underprivileged kids and kids who were potentially getting involved in the wrong things. And I actually taught them how to play golf. I taught them the game of golf. And it's been one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. And I wish I had more time to get back into it. Um, and one of the greatest achievements that I that I ever did was I really took this, this one kid under my wing. Um, and he was not in a good place with his family and, you know, friends in, in, in the Bronx. And um, I I taught him really the beginnings of the game of golf. Um, and I, I actually just found out a year ago that he wound up going to college in the South and getting a full golf scholarship. And that to me, I think so far to date has been the best achievement. We have a little less than uh, a minute to go. And I wanted to one last question because again, you are a millennial. I think you are a super successful millennial. We have a lot of brand new agents out there who listen to this program and, and, and tell me about it all the time. What is your secret talent, Matthew? My secret talent. Oh my. Um, I, I, it's, it's funny, but I would say my secret talent is probably being a scratch golfer. I, a lot of people in this city don't even know that I'm such a big golfer, whereas most people in my life, it's one of the first things they know. So, um, that I have to say is potentially, but, but probably the biggest secret of mine is that I'm a, I'm an extremely awkward, nerdy person All right, and we're gonna I have, have fun with myself. We have to leave it at that, unfortunately. <laughs> That's our show for this week. I just want to remind everybody the Good, Good Morning New York is off for the next two weeks. Next week, we're going to rebroadcast Agent Branding Today with our CMO at CORE, Elizabeth Kosich, and on December 27th, How to Become a Super uh, star connector with our uh, panel uh, panelists Niall Lundgren and Chris Shembra. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on the website voiceamerica.com or at vincerocco.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us. We will see you in January. Happy holidays to everybody and be good. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.